1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll commence our reading at verse 1. One Corinthians chapter eleven and verse one. May the Lord bless our reading of his word this evening. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven." For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man." Neither was the woman, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her? For her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world." Wherefore, for which reason, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together into, unto condemnation. 
and the rest will I set in order when I come. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to our every heart. This evening, the sermon text is, with the Lord's gracious help, this evening taken from verses 27 to verses 32. 27 to 32. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Amen. Let us briefly together call upon God in prayer before we come to the preaching of his word. Merciful and glorious and eternal God, in the name of thy Son, we give thee thanks for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, that thou hast revealed thyself to us in Scripture, that thou hast revealed the way of salvation and hast revealed to us the Redeemer himself. And Lord, and those of us who profess faith, who know something of that internal call to Christ, may say, O Lord, that thou hast revealed Jesus to our very soul. And we thank thee for that glorious revelation, that saving revelation. And Lord, as we come to the table and as we consider these words of warning that we have before us, Lord, help us to understand Lord, let us not think uh, and be presumptuous and think, well, we're saved. What does it have to do with us? But, Lord, that we would know what thou would say to us, that we would understand thy word. And, Lord, that may that word go forth, thy word to all, that all may understand, Lord, whether they're young and old, educated or not, Lord, to understand the word of the living God. And, Lord, that we would be prepared, that we would be examined, that we would have understanding as we approach this most holy of matters, the table of the Lord, that we would understand. Give unto me, O God, the grace and thy spirit that is needed to preach thy word, to preach it boldly and with the authority that comes from the word of God, with help from above. To the glory of thy name we pray. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is with the Lord's gracious help that we continue our examination. Uh, of the Lord's table, taken from 1 Corinthians 11. We've already considered, I believe last time, the institution of the table of the Lord, uh, looking at verses 23 to 26. Uh, for that, for I have received of the Lord, etc. Uh, were, the, were those words that we know uh, so well and, and so dearly, where the table is opened with the words of Christ quoted uh, to us by Paul the Apostle, as the Lord turns the Passover meal into the table of remembrance, the memorial supper. But now we, having seen those things, something of the, the eating and the drinking and something of those elements, so that there's much more to be gleaned from the Scriptures regarding what those elements are to us, we now come to a, a different section, a larger section, uh, from verse 27. Where, where, where the apostle then says, wherefore, for which reason? For the reasons that he's already laid out. Then he comes to a whole period of exhortations and very somber 
and solemn warnings to those that would come to the Lord's table. Now, parts of the Christian church do not even read those warnings, let alone pay attention to the extent of the warning. They don't read the scripture of it, they don't read the warnings in it, and they, therefore they don't teach it. And what that means is, consciously or con- unconsciously, uh, they permit all sorts to come and sit at the table of the Lord, those who are worthy and those that are unworthy. And yet, uh, the scriptures make it very clear that only those that are worthy uh, may come and feast on the Lord. Again, there are other parts of the Christian church that do make use of this text. And they do use it to fence the table. The fence is 20 foot high, and you can't get through, it would appear. Uh, They make so much use of it in such a way, or an abuse of it, that the children of God are intimidated, are are kept back away from the table that belongs to them, belongs to the rights and the privileges that they have as the children of God. And neither do we find uh, in, in this text here. We see solemn warnings but glorious invitations also. And we are to understand both of them in the context of the scripture itself and as the Lord is pleased to to help us this evening uh, to understand what it means then about eating and drinking worthily when the warnings against eating and drinking unworthily are so clear and so pronounced and that the, 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 the apostle takes his time to go through with them. As he took his time to make it very clear that a woman's head should be covered in the public worship, that a man's head should be not covered in public worship, and goes through all these reasons, again he now comes to the Lord's table and said, this is how it is to be. This is how it is to be presented. This is how to eat and drink worthily. And those who cannot and will not eat and drink worthily, well, the warnings are very clear, as the Lord will help us this evening to understand something of this text. And as usual, there is so much in there we can barely uh, scratch the surface to understand something of this message, eating and drinking worthily. Eating and drinking worthily. And so as we come to the wherefore in verse 27, uh, we're reminded therefore of the necessity to fence the table. There is a necessity to fence the table. And see there in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And that, that is in sharp contrast to verse 26. The verse 26 says to the believer, For as often as you eat and drink, um, that, uh, that as often as you eat and drink this cup, eat this bread and drink this cup, you just show the Lord's death till he come. There's a glorious truth for the child of God. That this is a memorial table, but, and yet it is a to- table of victory also. Yes, we are considering the, the, the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he is coming back. He did not remain in the grave. He rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven uh, 40 days later, and he is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And that is also part of what we're considering the table. And that gospel truth that is revealed, that he suffered and died for our sin, every time we're considering the gospel, every time we're considering the sacrifice, and every time we're realizing that sinners are saved because of the worker and the person of Jesus Christ only. And then that contrast then. In verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, And that contrast is there for a a, a very important reason. And therefore it is the minister's duty to fence the table. Because these warnings are real. These are not idle words. The Lord does not just throw in idle words and idle threats just to make himself seem more than he is. Far from it. The Lord is truth. And so these warnings are true. The judgments that are mentioned in them are true. The punishments that are spoken of are true. And because that is a solemn truth, it is the minister's duty to protect both the flock and the table. To protect both the flock and the table. There are those in the flock, and we will look at more detail as we go through these verses, that cannot or will not eat worthily. 
And therefore they are to be warned. The, 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 the reason for the warnings is very true. We are not. This is not just some man-made religious ritual. This is God Almighty himself having instituted uh, this supper for a reason, for a solemn reason, for a glorious reason. And therefore these words go out and should go out to protect the flock, those who cannot and will not eat worthily, and to protect the solemnity of the table. This is the Lord's table. It's not your table. But you may eat and drink worthily if you're in the Lord. And we'll look at those details shortly. So it is the minister's duty to, 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 to fence the table. But on what basis? Well, only on the words of Scripture. And those are the words of Scripture that we read there in verses 27 to 32. Scripture says so. Scripture says and makes it very clear that the table is to be fenced. The people are to be warned as well as to be invited. The glorious invitations that they are. Dear, poor, redeemed sinner, needing strength, needing blessing, come and eat with and upon thy Lord. Well, and, but those others do not approach holy things, do not profane that which is of God. Be so careful. And so we see those words of Scripture that we've read. They're not put in there for nothing, as I've said, but they are solemn words. So the necessity to fence the table is the minister's duty and that is expressed by the words of scripture and it should also therefore have an impact upon your conscience. It should have an impact upon your conscience that, that God is saying this to me. And God is saying this to me for a reason. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. This, this warning that goes out to everybody. And as we shall see, there is application also to the child of God here in these verses. So take seriously these solemn warnings and, and understand that need to fence the table. But let a man examine himself. Look at your conscience. Look at your life. Examine these other matters that we'll look at in a little bit more detail. And then you'll understand, therefore, according to the scripture and the duty of the minister, and your own conscience demands that the table be fenced. Not closed off. Be fenced. There's a door in the fence. There's a gate in the fence. So the necessity to fence the table, but we see also as we move down these verses, the sinful partaking at the Lord's table. Because verse 29, the following verse says this, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So there is an unworthy partaking, and every time that we have fenced the table, as we come to the table, we've, we've tried to make that clear every time what that means, what that unworthy partaking is. And the unworthy partaking really comes down to this. Do you have a right to sit at the Lord's table that has been given you, not that you have claimed? Is, do you have a right to sit there? What is your right? Well, in and of yourself, you are unworthy. We're all unworthy. We are unworthy to, to approach the Lord, which is why the Lord had to, had to have that new blood-sprinkled way that we could approach God through the blood of Jesus Christ, our only way of approach. Why would God listen to our prayers? Well, for Christ's sake. Well, how can we approach him and, and call upon him for help for Christ's sake? And so the only worth that we, any of us have, and we considered this last Lord's Day morning when we were considering, considering uh, the righteousness of Christ, when we were considering what justification was, that in and of ourselves there is nothing. The sinful nature will disagree, but the truth of the Scripture says there is nothing by which we have worth before God because we are worthless sinners. And therefore there is no worth in any of us to approach this most holy table, the table of the Lord. 
but we understand that there is an unworthy partaking, therefore there must be a worthy partaking, and so that worth is then understood and is found only in Christ, of course. Only in Christ. And it comes down to this glorious truth. Your worth is to be found by your faith in Jesus Christ. Because your faith in Jesus Christ unites you to Christ. You are united by nature. You are united, united with Satan. And if you are not born again, if you are not of the Lord, then you are still united to Satan. You are united to your sin. Your sin clings to your flesh and to your soul. And you have no place at this table. This table is for the blood-washed. This is the table for those that trust in Jesus. This is Jesus' table. And if you are still found in your sin and are still bound to Satan, this is not your table. But if by God's grace that you believe on Jesus Christ, that you've embraced him as he's freely offered to us in the gospel, we have a sweet and eternal and spiritual and physical union with Jesus Christ. And when you have that union with Jesus, then all of his benefits and all of his blessings are yours, including the table. And that's what it comes down to. That sweet, mystical union with Jesus that holds you, that embraces you, that supports you, that carries you through this life and for eternal life. Do you have that? Do you have that? There's more to it than just this. Would you have that? Then you may eat and drink worthily from the Lord, with the Lord, at the table of the Lord, because of your blessed union with the Lord. It's his table. They are his elements. That broken bread is his body. That, 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 that poured out, shed uh, blood, as it were, that, that wine, that grape juice, that fruit of the vine, is, uh, is his blood. They point to his blood. They point to his body. I'm not slipping into Lutheranism, don't you worry. But these are blessed elements. Blessed elements that say Jesus the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the broken body for his people, that shed blood poured out for his people. This table is for his people because it is Jesus' table. And so when we consider that union with Christ, we're really understanding a relationship with Christ. Is there a relationship with Christ? And as we know, in all sorts of relationships, relationships can differ. Relationships can be closer, they can be more distant, they can be more uh, a daily thing, they can be less daily, they can, whatever it might be. I'm not trying to say there is a, a cookie-cutter relationship with Jesus, except this much. It must be through his blood, it must be faith in him and in his sacrifice, and it must be a daily repenting and believing. As much as that is a cookie cutter, that is how it is. That's the way of entrance to, to the kingdom of Jesus. It's through those two pillars, the twin pillars, repentance and faith, and then walking with the Lord. But it is all about a relationship of the redeemed with the Redeemer. A relationship of now, no longer the children of the devil, but now the children of God. With their God, with their Father. And so the unworthy partaking is, is, is most especially this, that if you, are, if you are not of Christ, then you have no worth. Because all the worth of ourselves is to be found in Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that we have, the only worth that we have, that the Lord looks upon us as we were considering this morning. And he sees the blood of Jesus, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, all wrath is removed, all sin has been cleansed, and we have peace with God, we have friendship with God. We have God as our Father, and there is no enmity anymore. There's no, there's no enemyship. It's maybe an easier word. It doesn't exist than enmity. But there's, there's, nothing, there's, no, there's no, nothing between us and God that is, that is dark and difficult and wrathful. But there is peace. The seas are calm. The weather is bright. God's love is received and we are enabled to start loving God. 
Those are the worthy partakers, and anyone else, and everyone else, is an unworthy partaker. It's fairly black and white. Do you trust in Jesus? Then you are found worthy to eat at his table. Do you not trust in Jesus? Then you are unworthy. And I would say this, and here's the gospel truth of the table. You are still in your sin. You're still uh, united to the devil. And God's wrath is upon you. There's no third place. It's saved or unsaved. It's worthy in Jesus or unworthy in your sin. So that's the unworthy partaking that we read there in verse uh, 29. Well, if you go back to verse 27, it talks also about guilt. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty. Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. There is a guilt, therefore, for taking that which is not yours. You're a thief. You have no right, you have no privilege to take that bread and to take that wine. You will become a thief before God. You'll be a hypocrite before God. What are you doing reaching out and taking that which is not yours? The queen herself, she's now passed on. The king, King Charles, he, he may take hold of those crown, that crown and of those, those, those crown jewels and he may touch them, he may reach out and take them because he has every right. But if, if you or me uh, would, 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 would go to the, the, the Tower of London and, and go to that room and, and, and reach out and take hold, uh, having broken some glass, of course, and take hold, well, we would be thieves. More than thieves. We would be treacherous. We would be rebels against the king and against his privileges. But as the children of God, we have that right. We have that right to feast and to dine upon and with the Lord. And so we see they shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. Moving back to verse 29, again talking of guilt. It says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. This is the, 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 the crux of, the, of, of understanding what this guilty partaking is. There's an, a not discerning of the body of the Lord. Now there's much in that when we try to consider what that is. It's not just a discerning of that this is the body, a representation of the body. But it is also an understanding that I am not of the body. That I am not of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is that aspect also. But it's all to do with the body of Christ. It includes rebellion against the authority of the church, of the body of Jesus Christ. Rebellion against the authorities that he has set up, the spiritual oversight. Rebellion against the body. And that's why we say, often when we come to the Lord's table, that it means also those who spiritually have a right but are under, under discipline of their own church. And if you're still under discipline, it means you haven't submitted to the discipline of those authorities, that there is a state of friction, there's maybe even rebellion against the authorities, and that needs to be dealt with before you come to the church, lest you not discern the body of the Lord. There is that aspect also. And those who are guilty of causing disunity in the body of the Lord have also by, by such an action uh, put themselves outside that free and easy access to the table of the Lord. The body is broken that this body and all the body of Jesus would be united in love. And so those that would cause disunity within the body of Jesus, within the body of the local church, and would rebel against the authority of the local church, are found also to be guilty, not discerning the Lord's body, and therefore they are not to eat and drink until peace has been found. And those, those matters that I've just mentioned to you could be an indication that there is no true rebirth. They could be an indication, not necessarily that there is no rebirth. Christians can be foolish, Christians can be ignorant, Christians can be rebellious, but still Christians, and still have a right to the Lord's table, 
But you discern what the body is. Hands off. That which is not yours, it is the Lord's body. The Christ's table is not a place for rebels. It's a place for those who've been conquered by the King. And you must be conquered. Body and soul, mind and emotions. You must be conquered. That he receives all the glory. So we've seen the necessity to fence the table. We've seen the sinful partaking at the table. Thirdly, the results of sinful and ignorant partaking. Paul continues, the apostle continues. Verse 29, we see that there is a solemn judgment. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. When we read that word damnation, uh, our, our thoughts are very often drawn to the sort of the last days and the final judgment and, 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 and that this is a sin that is unforgivable and, and that you will be condemned to hell forever and ever. That is not the context of these, of these verses. And that word that is damnation, and then we, we jump to the wrong conclusion, it's, it's, a, it's a damnation of judgment. It, it is that you will be judged. Judgment is, the, is a good translation. If we add the word con in front, we get condemnation. So there's a condemnation here. A condemnation of sin. And that solemn judgment then, let us see in verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. In other words, the Lord finds you guilty of doing that which displeases him. And he is the lawgiver. He is the righteous one, and, and he sees that which is unrighteous. That which is he clearly warning about in his word, that if you come to the Lord's table and you are unworthy to sit, whether it's a temporary unworthiness because of those matters I've mentioned, or it's a, an unworthiness because you have no right at all to the Lord's table, the Lord says, I'll judge you. And as I mentioned in the introduction, there are some churches that, that, that ignore this and take it so easy and lightly come dancing to the front and do whatever you want. And I've, unfortunately, in my early Christian days, I've been at such a meeting. No honor, no respect, no understanding of what the Word says. And how many are eating and drinking judgment, damnation to themselves? It's a solemn judgment. It's a solemn matter. Uh, we, are, we are dealing with holy things. And a holy God knows the value of his holiness. He knows the value of his truth. He knows the value of his gospel. And, and we are not to play with any of this. It's a solemn judgment. And verse 30 then goes on to speak that there is a clear punishment. The judgment says that, you, that you're guilty of a crime and then there's a punishment given for that crime. In verse 30. For this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. So we have the pun uh, punishment given there. Three, three levels of punishment maybe. There's a, there's a weakness. There's a sickness. There's a sleepiness. And then, and then looking at this, then we may ask ourselves, is this a physical punishment or is it a spiritual punishment? Now we know that from the scripture, the, the idea of, of falling asleep for, for those who are in the Lord, that, that's really talking about the fact that the death has no, has no right upon us because Christ has taken away the curse of death. Yes, the body will die, but there is an eternal life for the soul. And so we know that that is sometimes what we call a, 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 a euphemism, a, a nice phrase to describe death, but it doesn't, really, it doesn't really count for Christians to talk about them dying, as it were. And so there are a few places that we have in the New Testament talks about sleeping, that they sleep in the Lord, that they fall asleep in Christ, essentially saying they die physically. And so we could say, well, maybe that's what the apostle is talking about here. The Christians are so rebellious uh, that they even die. But I don't think so. I don't think that we see in Corinth, in Corinth 
even evidenced in the Scriptures or even in our own uh, um, experience of being in churches where we know things could be better than they are. We don't see people literally just falling, uh, becoming weak, physically weak, becoming sick, physically sick, uh, or even dying when they have misappropriated the rights, when they have come and, eat, uh, and eaten and drunk unworthily at the Lord's table. It's not something we see. Of course, our experience doesn't give theology by any means, but it might help us to understand what is being said here. Well, I believe it is a spiritual judgment. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. It is a spiritual punishment. A spiritual truth to those who do not take uh, the the solemnity of the Lord's table uh, seriously. That there is a weakness, there's a spiritual weakness. Now we know something of the weaker brother. Now that's biblical. Would that be a description then of those who have eaten uh, eaten and drunk unworthily? Or haven't been careful in their walk with the Lord? Or have been guilty of, 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 of sins against the body? That they are then the weaker brethren and they're not strength. There doesn't seem to be grace in them to strengthen them. Is that what it's speaking of? I think it is. And it's talking about the sickly. That those who don't seem to be, don't seem to be moving forward in the faith. The, 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 the spiritual problems, emotional problems, theological problems, they just, they just stick in them. They stick in these sicknesses and they never, they're never released from them. Whatever it might be. And sleep, yeah. Just sleeping. Sleeping in the pew. Maybe that's a terrible judgment of God and even upon the children of God. That there's just no real spiritual life there. Could we say that's in a, an extreme backslidden state? I think we could. Extremely backslidden. But even more solemnly, I would say this. Those who come to the church, those that have convinced themselves that they're saved and they're not, they come and they make misuse of the elements before them and they are spiritually asleep and will never be awakened to the call and the command and the demands of the gospel. And so they do church. And they come and sit in the pew. And they know how to pray and they know how to speak. And they come and sit at the Lord's table and yet they are dead in trespasses and sins. So we do see extremes of this punishment from this caused by this judgment of those that sinfully and ignorantly partake of the Lord's table. And that's a solemn matter. May the Lord impress that upon us. That it is a solemn matter. You cannot mess with the Lord. God will not be mocked. Not even at his table. But what we also see is implied blessing. That those that are able by God's grace to eat and drink worthily, then we see that there is a, we see that the, the, the punishment, the judgment upon those who, who shouldn't come near the table, but it implies to us the blessings that we may receive when we come to the table. So taking then those words, weak and sickly and sleep, what we may understand that there is strength to be found and spiritual again. Strength. That there is spiritual health to be found, that there is spiritual alertness and awakeness to be found at the table of the Lord. As the, instead of the curse of God, the blessing of the table is given to those who humbly by faith come to the table. Not because there's anything in them, but because they have found it all in Jesus Christ, all in Him. They find their worth in him. They find their hope in him. They find their redemption in him. And therefore, and they're not rebelling against him or against his church or against his body. We have those glorious implied blessings then of strength and health 
and alertness, awakeness. You're alive. You're no longer backslidden. You're, you're wonderfully restored from any backslidden state, or you'll never be backslidden. Because by God's grace, and these are gracious gifts, see, there, is a, there is a strength, there is a health, there is a weakness. And if we think of the health of a child of God, what is it but that the old man of the flesh be more and more crucified and mortified, that the new born again you has more strength, and you're walking with the Lord, and you're, you're resting in his grace, knowing that the, what the Lord said, that my grace is sufficient for thee, and you're beginning to live it, and to understand it, and to praise God for it, and no longer looking to yourself, yes, you are a failure, yes, you don't do this, and you don't do that, but you're resting in the sweet, and delicious, and full, and rich grace of God in Jesus Christ. He's worthy, which makes you worthy. Strong and healthy and awake. But what we do, we see in verse 32 also, is that there is a gracious chastening. Because I think verse 32 points to Christians that that have a right, but are eating and drinking at one time or another unworthily. And then the Lord takes a gracious dealing with them. But when we are judged, he says. So Paul the Apostle says this on behalf of believers everywhere. But when we are judged believers... We are chastened of the Lord. You see, the chastening of the Lord is done to his children. Those who are outside of his son, those who are in the world, those who are with the devil, they do not receive the chastening of the Lord. The chastening is something that the father does to his own children, to those those dearly adopted children he's adopted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a great payment. Great payment of the cost of the life and the death and the blood of his own son to bring them to himself and he loves them and even though they be rebellious and foolish uh, at certain times in in their Christian walk and yet we see that when he does judge them he chastens them as a father does to his children As we know elsewhere in the scriptures, it says this, if you are not chastened by God, it means you're a bastard. It means you're an illegitimate child. It means you are not a child of God, but still a child of the devil. A religious child of the devil, but a child of the devil nonetheless. So if you can see that the Lord chastens you, specifically in the context of the table, that you've made misuse of the table, In whatever way. Maybe you've made the table a political chess match between you and the session. Which you should never do. Because it is the table of the Lord and not the table of politics. Then you might look back and you think, well, the Lord chastened me. And the Lord can chasten in many different ways. But that chastening is meant to bring you back. It's not a rejection. It is a chastening. It is the hand on the backside. It is the rod of correction. That you would repent and come back in line and be obedient, child of God. As we see in verse 32, he's not saying that all Christians are absolutely perfect saints because we are not. But the Lord takes us and he chastens us that we be chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Now that, that's where we come to those who would eat and drink unworthily, that would, that, that, would, that would religiously take hold of these elements and they are not found to be in Christ and they never were in Christ and they will never be in Christ, although they be religious. State churches are filled with such. But when we are judged, we are chastened that we should not be condemned. There's a division there, there's a separation, which brings us to our last point. So the necessity to fence the table, the sinful partaking at the table, and what we've just looked at, the results of sinful and ignorant partaking, and finally, the needful preparation beforehand. The needful preparation to eat and drink worthily at the table. So Paul mentions this a couple of times in these verses. Verse 28, But let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. The word there, man, is, is really a word that you could say a human being. So it's not, it's not that the women are left out of the table. It's let a person, let a man examine himself. 
And then it says, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So that self-examination is to make me realize, am I in the body of Christ? Not am I perfect, not am I doing all these wonderful things for the Lord, not do people look up to me, but am I found in Jesus Christ? Is my worth him? Is he my worth? And then it goes immediately on to say, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. There's not a list of things that you have to tick off before you're allowed to come to the table because Christ has done that all. It is faith in him gives you the right to eat and drink worthily. Notice with me that both of these are commands. Both are commands. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Both of them are commands, imperatives, that this you must examine yourself and you must eat and drink after due examination. I know there are those that, that struggle with assurance of faith and they come to that verse and they think, well, examine, yes, I'll examine myself and they, and they go round and round in circles examining themselves. But really the examination is, am I looking to Jesus? Am I looking to Jesus? And if I am looking to Jesus that my worth is to be found in him. And then I have every right to eat and drink because you might say, well, you know, I, I'm not too sure and, 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 and I don't have that assurance and I don't want to be presumptuous. No, the Lord says you're weak, you're sickly, and maybe you're spiritually asleep if you don't eat. You need the blessings of the table to strengthen you, to give you spiritual health, to make you spiritually alert and awake in the love and the service of the Lord. So there is that place for self-examination and that's so important, but the emphasis is on worthiness. Not worthiness in yourself, but do I have the worthiness that's given to me by Jesus, or do I not have the worthiness that's given to me by Jesus? And that's the, that's the discernment. That's the difference. If you say, well, I don't even look to Jesus, then you have no worth to sit and eat and drink the table. But if you're looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as the author and the finisher of your faith, then all your worth is found in him. And so let's not be a navel-gazing Christian. And some do, they take that so far, the, 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 the pietism, the, ex, the experientialism becomes way beyond that which is in the scriptures and they become self-obsessed and self-absorbed. And if you keep on looking at your sinful self and your sinful nature, that there is no worth in there. And you'll never come to the table. But these are two commands. Examine yourself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Take both elements for your spiritual nutrition. And finally, self-judgment we see. Self-judgment in verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I mean, that really is the second part of self-examination there's one two sides of the same coin could we say for if we would judge ourselves we should not be judged and that expression there where it says judge ourselves it's, where, it's, it's a word that you could translate as discern can we discern ourselves can I discern where I am in relationship to God am I saved by Jesus okay, that's one thing am I being obedient to Jesus and that's another thing. They're the two things that we see here for those who would eat and drink worthily. And if that's the case, then we have discerned a right that we have the privilege to dine on Christ. But if it's anything else than that, than that yes and that yes, then we have to understand, of course, that God will chasten his own children who do not come worthily. So that worth is to be found in Christ, but it is also related in our own behavior, uh, not discerning the body and the authority of the local church, causing disunity within the body. Those things that we've examined already, take away with you. Prepare your hearts. Now, we haven't really got time to prepare them for this evening and with those truths that we've had, but for the next time is to consider, am I in Christ? Am I walking aright with Christ? 
and my obedience to Jesus Christ and to his church and am I a blessing to the body within which I find myself and therefore I can eat and drink worthily I can know the strength and the health and and the blessings of Jesus and that is really what we hope for as we come to the table that we would have that time of, of, of fellowship with the Lord that's what the word communion means it means fellowship we have a meeting a fresh meeting with the Lord Jesus as we're doing what he's commanded us to do as Paul himself said he'd received of the Lord and we have received of the Lord to sit at the table of the Lord and to be fed but also we are to be we are to be biblical we are to examine ourselves and then obey the word of God as much as we're able to and then eat and drink of the Lord Jesus Christ and so we can eat and drink worthily because of him and nothing to be found in you in and of itself and may the Lord bless his word to us as we come to the table and let us pray as we close the preaching of his word let us pray Lord these are solemn matters that we have considered together and we thank thee for thy word Lord help us to understand how deeply solemn and serious these things are and yet also how glorious it is that Christ invites us, the King invites his own people to come and dine with him. We who are Mephibosheths, we who are as dead dogs, and yet we are invited by the King to feast with him, to sit at the King's table and to dine with him. And, O oh Lord, we do pray that that will give that biblical discernment, that we would understand that worth is to be found in Jesus and that we have that glorious union with him by faith. But Lord, may those solemn warnings go forth and also hit home. That if we are not in union with Christ by faith, then we have union with the devil and sin still. And that must first be dealt with. Lord, may even tonight as we're going to sit at the table and as the word of the Lord has gone forth, may it please thee even to convict the consciences of those outside of Christ, that they would be caused by thine own grace to look unto Jesus, to call upon the Lord to be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, help us now as we come to our time at the table. May we know thy help and thy blessing. And we pray thee in the name of Jesus. Amen.